Hey, Mike, we got a show to do. While we do? Is it that time already? <laughs> yeah, it's that time. Okay. It is time for Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors, a Letterman Tribute podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. Welcome to uh, Wake the Kids and Phone the Neighbors. Uh, this is a Letterman Tribute Podcast. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm Rusty. This is Rusty. And we are, um, I guess basically we're going to go over pretty much the entire career of David Letterman, right? Uh, eventually. I mean, it's it's a long way to go. It's yeah. a journey, if nothing else. But yeah, we're going we're gonna to start. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, uh, Rusty, we, um, we started talking about this podcast a little while back and, um, I did not, you and I had never really met before in person and, uh, we got together and we talked about what we wanted to do. And, and then I get this email from you that has, uh, about 900 videos on it, which is great. 902, but yeah, yeah, you're sure, close. You're sure. close. You're close. Yeah. Um, I gotta say, I am super, super impressed with the amount of research you've done here. And just in us talking, uh, earlier today, we were talking about, uh, even more that you've done since. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've done a lot. Yeah. I like to, uh, dive into things full full head on, you know, I mean, if you're going to discuss something, it's better to be informed of what you're discussing. Yeah. So, um, if we're talking about David Letterman, we're going to start somewhere around 1968. Right? Uh, 1968. Yeah, I guess yeah. That, that would be the junior year of college. That would be yeah. that would be Letterman's junior year. So David Letterman, uh, famously from Indiana. Absolutely. Indianapolis. Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Broad um, Ripple neighborhood. Absolutely. Broad Ripple neighborhood. Yep. Yep. Um, and went to Ball State. Only because his grades weren't good enough to go anywhere else. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, C student, average. Just, okay. You know, just an average guy. Yeah, and you were telling me something about that uh, that, that that happens now. Yeah, he has a, a scholarship foundation set up through Ball State University, which I think is it's it's so on par for who David Letterman is as a person. But he has the uh, it, it, I'm not sure the the exact name of it, but it's a scholarship for students who are C students. That's fantastic. Average and. Uh, Generally, what they ask for is some type of creativity, which, you know, express their creativity through either a video or recording or some kind. And then they submit that with their essay. And, uh, you know, it's on par for David Letterman. Yeah, he he was he was an average guy. He was an average student. Uh, He talks about that a lot throughout anything that he does is how average he is. Oh, absolutely. And I think that was part of his appeal. Yeah, he was just the the everyday guy. He could have yeah. been your next door neighbor, yeah. you know, cracking jokes on the fence line with you, kind of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, Letterman to me was uh, everything when I was growing up. Um, I had never really seen or, or heard anything like him, and it was the sarcasm and the. Or that was a weird way to say sarcasm, but it was the sarcasm, <laughs> and it was just the anything goes attitude of the show. And so when I first came across him, of course, it was uh, late night with David Letterman. That was the first time I was ever exposed to him. Now, having said that, um, from some of this stuff that you've sent me, I think I had seen him before because I don't know how you didn't. 
if you watched game shows, if you watched um, variety shows, if you watched anything like that, he just started kind of appearing. Oh, absolutely. If if you watched NBC at at any point in the, you know, the three year time span from the comedy store mm-hmm. to his actual first appearance on Johnny Carson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 I mean, all kinds of shows, you know, he uh he did a pilot for a game show, The Riddlers. Yeah. Uh, that never actually made it. That was that was that <laughs> it's a was a terrible show. Wow, it was yeah, a horrible, it's a rough show. Horrid. Yeah. The Riddlers with your host David Letterman. Okay. All right. Thank you. Now, the first item going up, first item going up for bid is this wonderful automatic garage door opener. <laughs> And then there was the weird, uh, the Starland vocal band show, which was kind of hippie-esque, and it was kind of all over the place. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, that was a neat little variety show, I think. <laughs> the Starland vocal band. Thinking of you, working up my Recognize that hit? Well, tonight, the group that made it famous travels from Washington, D.C. to Malibu, California, giving concerts and performing with some of America's brightest comedians. You guessed it, gang. Behind me, a crack production crew. It's a Sunday night. What do you got to do anyway? So, gentlemen, start your tape machines. Do you know what year that was, the, uh, the Starland Vocal Band Show? The Starland, yeah, that was the summer of 77. Okay, so that's 77. Yeah, All right, this is summer so of let's, 77. So let's, let's take it back. I do want to talk about that show specifically. Okay. Just because when I watched it, I could not really believe what I was watching. Yeah. Um, but it did, it does really encapsulate that time period. You know, it's so, oh, absolutely. It's so weird to yeah. watch it Afternoon now. Delight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that, <laughs> yeah. that feel to it. Absolutely. Yeah. They had one song, and so they built a variety show around them. Um, okay, so let's talk about where where the the stuff that you sent me and um, first things first, uh, we got something called Uncle Gimpy. Uh, Uncle okay. Gimpy's like 1968 Ball State Radio. Um, it's 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 a little rough, uh, but you can certainly see where he's starting to develop. Um, he was kind of the announcer on this show. Absolutely, and not only did he announce, though he did a lot of the creative writing on the behind-the-scenes things for that little the little bit. Uh, it was what I liked about it most was how nonsensical it is. Yeah, and and it wasn't geared for college kids. It was actually a kids' show. Is it was what it was targeted for? Which, if you listen to it, you wouldn't really think that it would be something no. that you would let your you know eight-year-old listen no. to at all. No. But it was entertaining, I guess. You know. For for somebody because it wouldn't exist, <laughs> we wouldn't have the archival footage if somebody didn't find it interesting. The somewhere. one that I listened to, um, they are introducing a Hawaiian um, model and singer. They keep talking about through the episode how this, uh, and I forgive me, I don't remember her name, but we'll play the clip. Um, how she is coming, you know, she's going to be on the show here in a little bit, here in a little bit, you know, the beautiful whatever her name was. 
and then something horrible happens to her during the show and she's disfigured, but she's still coming out, you know, yeah, but they absolutely. no longer call her the beautiful whoever, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that is, that's very much on brand as far as I'm concerned with, with David Letterman. Oh, absolutely. Promise, 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 under, under deliver. Under deliver. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> under deliver. Oh, well, ladies and gentlemen, before we bring out the lovely Holly Loki, I'm going to sing a few Paraguayan pre-revolutionary field and ditch worker songs made popular here on campus. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this radio transmission to bring you this pertinent burning bulletin on the condition of famous Hawaiian singer and dancer, Miss Holly Loki. Miss Loki has just been mugged by a group of striking pineapple pickers. Doctors say her condition is grave. The report did not mention whether she will ever be able to play the accordion or the manzillo again. More on her condition after sign-off. So uh, you, said, you said something to me um, just a little bit before the show about... Uh, listening to an interview with Letterman and Oprah. Uh, and this was what, uh, in the last couple of years? Right? Yeah, within the last five years or so. Because, yeah. um, of course, he's only retired in 2015. So it's right. been, what, six years or so, seven mm -hmm. years. So, Which it feels like he's been gone forever. Yeah, it feels like yeah. we never had a David Letterman almost. You know yeah. what I mean? The, the, the emptiness in that deal. But, you know, it, it, there's 125 or so now, I think, late night shows. Yeah, so, at least. Yes. Yeah. It's a different yeah, world, and and, it, and they all feel like they're paying homage to him at some point. And, and I'm I'm sure if you had conversations with the majority of them that are there, could probably yeah. uh, and there's a few of them that I could you know specifically quote that yeah they have yeah. attested a lot of their uh, not only their successes because a lot of them had started out maybe on Letterman show doing a you know a six minute bit or whatever it right, is right so a lot of them yeah they you know. It's it's definitely reminiscent of what he did. They all have a band. They all have you know, and and some of them even do the Ed McMahon thing and the Andy Richter, where they yeah. have a, a second yeah. guy with them on the yeah. show. So that was that was always the thing with me with Letterman. I think it was that um, it wasn't Carson, right? So it wasn't the tried and true host sidekick band thing. Absolutely. Um, it was just weird enough to where the band leader was really the sidekick, but the band was kind of odd. It was a little off. And then Letterman sitting behind that desk just always killed me. I mean, he never set up straight. He never interviewed the same way anybody else does. Yeah, he's always moving yeah, around. Yeah, just moving around. Yeah, I mean, absolutely it's, animated. It's, it's nutty to think uh, that somebody looked at this guy and went, "Yep, there it is. We need to we need to build a show around this guy, a talk show." Yeah, well, not only did they want to build a talk show around him, they didn't literally did not know what to do with him, and they retained him for yeah. the purpose of his talent. They're like, "We know you're something. Yeah, we don't know what, we yeah. don't know yeah. where." Uh, you know, and then they give him the the awkward Daily Show thing. Yeah. It's like they didn't know where to utilize him as far as like NBC's, uh, you, you know, Silverman. You know, he didn't really know what to yeah. where to place the guy. I, and and what you've given me is is kind of a great gift here. Be able to watch through all this stuff. I'm like, it, it, it's crazy to me all the stuff they tried to make him fit into. You know, if you're talking about either. Um, the game shows that he was on or the the weird daytime show that he was on uh even some of the interviews that he did some of the he hosted um the 1971 indy 500 pit absolutely. interviews absolutely which which I, I understand coming from from indianapolis you know that that's a thing but 
it was just so odd to see him kind of out of his out of his element. Well, you got to think the Indianapolis thing that you're discussing, that's pre-LA. So that's pre yeah, that's like true. David Letterman in the sense that we know him. So in that that's early pre-New stuff, York, right? Yes, yeah, way it's way before New York, yeah. way before LA. Yeah. Uh cuz this is 71. Yeah, 71. Good god, he's just out of college. 20, 19, 20 years yeah. old at this point. Yeah. So it, you know, it's it's really young, so you know he I didn't started do really young. Impressive at nineteen or twenty, not uh, like that. Mario Andretti. Mario, what happened? Well, obviously there was some oil. I think there was spilled by Krizilov's car, and um, when we arrived on the scene, uh, John Cox spun in front of me, hit the wall, and ricocheted into my path, and I was trying to uh, kind of pinch it down close uh, so I won't get into them, but uh, nothing I could do. What about the traffic? The faster cars coming up with the slower ones now. Well, that's a uh, normal uh, pace of the race. I mean, this you see everywhere. That's no particular problem. Thank you very much. Mario Andretti out of the 1971 Indianapolis 500. Yeah. I can't remember what I was doing. I was probably in a ditch hammered somewhere sure. at 19. <laughs> That's about right. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely wasn't standing on pit road uh, with I, ABC Sports doing an yeah. expose. <laughs> I think I followed that same program. Um, okay, so we've got him, we've got him on uh, Ball State Radio. And then in 1969, a year after that, we have him on WAGO. Uh, this is also Ball State Radio. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, he started out, uh, the, the radio station that he started was a 10-watt, real small. It was called WBST. Mm. That was the very, very first instance of him being on a college radio, and that's where uh, I think the Uncle Gimpy show mm-hmm. actually might have first aired. I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's about where that, mm-hmm. cr- around the same time frame, if mm-hmm. not released on that radio show. Yeah. And uh the funny thing about it was is he always wanted an outlet for his humor. You know, he always wanted that outlet for his mm-hmm. wit and stuff. So uh, he actually got fired from his first radio station job sure. by the radio manager. And again, the radio manager fired him, but because he didn't know what to do with him. Right. He knew there was some kind of untapped talent. And uh, he actually, it was he was joking about Claire DeLune, uh, the classical piece, Claire mm-hmm, DeLune, mm-hmm. and uh, he started talking about her sister, you know, and, and I thought that was, that was, that was you know, on, on brand for David Letterman. It was just the humor is just, it's, it's funny that even at that age, at, you know, 18, 19 years old, being in college, that he's, it, it, while in college, he's forming all of this, this humor and this wit, and, yeah. and he got to walk through his career in a way a lot of comedians didn't have an opportunity to because he was started out in broadcasting. He yeah. didn't start out doing anything humorous, yeah. uh, intentionally humorous. Well, none of his humor is intentional. But he <laughs> he wasn't you know intentionally humorous, and it was non sequiturs, and it was just the puns and the wit and everything. Yeah. It was interlaced through all of this early stuff. And would he be as funny if he didn't have that development phase? You know, the world will never know. It's like trying to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. Yeah, I don't but. think so, man. I just don't I don't think it would have happened the same way. Um, you know, he has this weird um advantage, I guess, of seeing all those sixties fifties and sixties comics, like old school, like Milton Burles and things like that. Absolutely. And then applying it to the seventies and then finally kind of coming into his own in the eighties, you know. Um, and through all those times Again, we see things like uh, Gong Show, uh, something called uh, Word Grabbers, which also was a horrible uh, show. Awful show. Here's your question. According to legend, 
Why would you put a ring of garlic around your... Come on, Dave. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, Dave, no. According to legend, why would you put a ring of garlic around your... Neck. That's it. You got it. You won you know, when you start getting a little further into his career, uh, uh, middle 70s, late 70s, you see that that he was really floundering at that point, and the folks just didn't know what to do with this guy. They really he, didn't, yeah. But to his credit, he's the same guy on all these shows. He's the same he guy. He never changes, really. and, and even if you look at his uh, Mork and Mindy, because he did a guest appearance on Mork and Mindy. Did he really? Yeah, he did. Uh, that was one of the things I forgot to send you. I did not you. know that. Yeah, I, damned if I couldn't find a clip, though. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to find a clip to be able to send you once I get to the house. But uh, I'm having trouble understanding any of this. <laughs> Perhaps you can understand this. Sit down and shut up. <laughs> Yeah, so he did the Mork and Mindy appearance, and uh, <laughs> Mork and Mindy. It, it, you know, just like you said, all the appearances on the game shows and stuff. Yeah. Like, how many comics really get an opportunity to be in a thousand different places on That's... network television to to flex your craft or work on your craft? You're absolutely uh, right about that. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's. What, what's crazy to me is that, that you know, say flex his craft and work out his craft. Uh, he did it in front of the, the, everybody. All the you time. Know, he was always on. Yeah. 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 Like you say, it's not like he did anything. You know, now uh, comedians have a chance to go on a, a, a local podcast. They have a chance to work out stuff in local little clubs and things. He just kind of went all in. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, I watched a Kim Kardashian interview is on his new show. I'm sorry. Uh, well, it was, it, well, I'm sorry too. It was actually, it was actually fairly interesting and insightful yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. David Letterman is able to now in his later years, he's able to sit and talk for over this is, an this hour. This is the one on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my guest needs no, this, my yeah. next guest needs no introduction. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, they were discussing, you know, the, the climate of the world today, as far as Instagram and things like that. And he was discussing, he said, yeah, I used to have a million people watch me at night time right and he's like but that's nothing compared to what you do with social media it's crazy you have yeah, 625 million people subscribed to kim kardashian <laughs> and he used to have one million he was excited to have a million he people killing. watching him he was killing yeah getting a million yeah 400 million you know that that's where he's at for net worth yeah. so he made plenty of money yeah, during no that no tenure. i'm not worried yeah, about yeah. the guy as far as being able to spend his money oh uh, yeah he's, um, he's so there. so if we go back to 1969 and we're talking about muncie uh radio station wago and this is ball state radio um listening to this episode there's one thing special about it tell me tell me what happens in that episode that that's so special Oh, the WAGO. So uh, in that, uh, it's it's a, a bit he does. And in the bit, he uses his wife. He actually, Michelle yeah. was his first wife in that bit. Yeah. So uh, we'll play a clip for you guys. Doobie, 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 doo. Doobie, doobie. Certainly hope someone's home. Hello. Hello, who is this? Uh, this is Lila Whip. Lila Whip, this must be your magic and enchanted evening, for this is Dave Letterman, fun seeker of the radio. Wow. W-A-G-O. Do you live in the uh, West Wing or anything? No, no, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, listen. Radio? Pardon me? A radio station? Yes, yeah, a radio station. Sorry. No, I don't think I've ever heard of it. Oh. Well, listen. Li listen, you should have called before. I've been asleep, and I've got to go to work at the pixie. At, at the pixie? Yes. Hey, ho, at the pixie! All right, Lila, this is your lucky night, sweetheart. Hey, look. Are you the all-night grill girl out there? Yeah. Whoa. 
So in the clip, you could hear him talking to somebody named Michelle. Right. And that would be his first love interest. She picks up the phone. She's asleep or whatever. He woke her up. And yeah, woke her up about, out of her sleep. Yeah. And uh, so that's his that's his first wife. That yeah. was the woman that he ended up moving to L.A. with. Yeah. And uh, She's the one that encouraged him to yeah, move to Yeah, she encouraged right? him. Yeah, she she's the one that encouraged them to move to L.A. and him to pursue his career. Because yeah. at that point, he had reached the pinnacle of Midwestern broadcasting. He was mm. famous regionally. He was an Indiana broadcaster. Uh, weatherman known weatherman and and that's the thing again when when we discuss uh, uh, his early career and how many places he was in and how many things he did that that's even here in in his early career in the in the the late 60s so he does radio shows like he's doing a radio show he's doing a broadcast on tv Mm -hmm. and then on tv he's the fill-in guy so he's doing daily stuff on the in the morning shows or he's doing an expose across town or he's doing that which we get small town news. I feel like yeah. from that, that's where he generates the small town news bit is from that, that early. I feel early like deal. that's, I feel like that's a lot of his draw or it was for me that it feels like it's a, a small town guy on a big time radio on a big time TV station, yeah, absolutely. you know, that kind of thing. And you still that, that connection to, um, us lowly folks out there watching, you know, through through whether it's small town news or stupid pet tricks or anything like that, it feels like this is a guy we know, you know. And and even when I watch some of this old stuff, I'm like, well, that could have been a buddy of mine who just got lucky, you know, and walked onto a game show set. Absolutely, something. it's so average. His humor is average. I hate. To, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to say no, it, you're right. but it is. It's an it's yeah. average guy's humor, yeah. and that's what makes it so relatable. And that's I think that's where a lot of his success lied in is the fact that the average uh, steel mill worker yeah. watching David Letterman at night, you know, the jokes that he's dropping are the same jokes that the guys are cracking at the water cooler. You know what I mean? It's yeah. similar humor. Yeah. It's just. It's dad humor, you know what I mean? It is. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's all dad jokes and and just quick-wittedness. That's the funny thing in researching, doing all this research, and I was looking for books and literature to read on him, and uh, a lot of the books that you find are quote books that specifically say dad humor or inspirational wit or, you know, wit, dad, and those kind of Mm -hmm. words, you know, those buzzwords. Uh, And that's what he is, you know, he's just... Wit, well, that's, bad humor. That's absolutely what drew me in as a kid. It was my first, like, and this is going to sound weird, but he was kind of my first comedy crush, right? Like, absolutely. Like, I wish, I can remember being a kid and having dreams of like, oh, I'm walking into an elevator and holy crap, David Letterman's on the elevator and we start talking or whatever, you know, and that's the whole freaking dream. Yeah. That's all I wanted, you know, was just to just, meet just him. Just to meet David Letterman. Yeah, just yeah. barb back and forth with him or whatever. And so I think that really speaks to me as a, God, I was a teenager, I guess, or or a wannabe teenager at that time. Um, I would have been about 12, 13. The show Late Night premiered in what, 80? 83 or was 82 it 80, is 82 or 83 somewhere it was like two or three it was like two years i think after the 80 morning show oh that's morning right show the morning was show summer was 80. Of, yeah. summer of 80 which i had never seen before until i never I even started. knew it existed yeah if it wasn't for if it wasn't for youtube i never would have stumbled across it so what what i do these days which which is not that different from what i used to do um instead of watching video cassettes and recording everything i just go to youtube and look for stuff and so when I go to bed, this is a little inside baseball, but whenever I go to bed, 
my wife will go to sleep and then I'll have the headphones on or whatever. And I'm just watching old clips of Letterman, you know, oh, absolutely. And then as you watch that, the algorithm learns, Oh, you want more Letterman stuff. And then it brought up that last episode of his day of his daytime show. Well, fun fact, uh, a lot of what you find for David Letterman that is on YouTube uh-huh. is from a guy named Don Giller, who is actually a huge archivist, personal archivist. He has nothing, no affiliation with anything to do with Worldwide Pants or David yeah. Letterman. Yeah. And it was a personal project of his that he started, you know, and if you I, don't, when and, he was and, younger. And if you don't know what Worldwide Pants is, it's, it's Letterman's production company. Worldwide Pants, the most trusted name in pants and entertainment. Absolutely. Yeah. Letterman's production company, Mm -hmm. which, uh, he started out actually in the eighties with that. It was, Mm -hmm. it was something that, and he managed to maintain all the rights to all his stuff with that. At the end of every show, worldwide pants or, or, or it, it it ultimately (laughs) morphed into somebody just going pants. And that was it. That was it. Pants. (laughs) Yeah. Pants. Pants. Yeah. Let's talk about some of this stuff that you sent. Um, we talked about, uh, kind of the, uh, the radio stuff. Um, and then he up and moves to LA and starts kind of getting his stand-up career going. Yeah, absolutely. So he moves to LA about 75. So Mm -hmm. all the game shows and stuff that comes after this. So really quickly after that. Oh, really quickly yeah. within, within a couple within like a year or two yeah. of him being there with him, he, he got there in 75 and by 76, he's got appearances in, in NBC shows, 76, do, 77. Do you have any idea who his contemporaries were like, like at the comedy store or wherever he was performing? Like who were the Absolutely. people? I was just about to yeah. get to that. Good thing you asked that question. Cool. So he was actually a writer for Jimmy Walker. We didn't plan a lot of this, by the way. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. This is off the cuff. Yeah, this is off the cuff, but we're, we're trying to keep it in the yeah. vein of what David yeah, Letterman here. Absolutely. Uh, so, no preparation. So Letterman, uh, he actually became a writer for Jimmy Walker mm. in in the in the seventies through the through the through the comedy Dino-mite, store. Jimmy Walker. Dynamite, yeah, yeah. Dynamite, <laughs> Jimmy Walker, yeah. So, you know, hang, hang on, I'm sorry. No, I, go I ahead. Need to keep interrupting you. No, you're good. But I just saw yesterday a. Uh, Medicare ad with did uh, <laughs> absolutely. Jimmy. I was going to mention that. Dynamite I was going to mention Walker. that. Yeah. yeah, you beat me to it with the dynamite. But I was going to mention that he's now <laughs> like, he's now so old he's aged out to commercials. That's yeah. right. He he says something like, "If you want extra money on your <laughs> on your Medicare check, it's dynamite or something like absolutely. that." Absolutely. Yeah. Just awful. And then I asked about the benefit that adds money to my Social Security check. And get this, I'm entitled to an extra one hundred dollars a month that's twelve hundred dollars a year added to my social security check and i was like dino my so at that time you had other people around him that were also writers for jimmy yeah. walker at the time so you had jay leno oh actually this is this is where he meets jay leno wow you had paul mooney oh yeah i remember uh, paul mooney you had robert schimmel andy kaufman when you think andy kaufman i don't i don't think uh Anybody from my generation that knows who Andy Kaufman is thinks of Man in the Moon with Jim Carrey. Right. That's where they, you know, that's where we get him at. That's not at all. And, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's not know, at all. That's some, not at some all. Some of the yeah. greatest Andy Kaufman uh, improvisations and, and appearances are on Letterman. Yeah, absolutely. Just throughout the years. Oh, throughout we'll, the years. We'll get to them. Yeah, we'll get yeah. to that. I think we should just have a whole episode <laughs> just, dedicated just to Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we should because yeah. he, he, he had some. Some really good some appearances, some really great, starting with the 1980 morning show. Yes. So, yeah, so that's where he, he, he did. But, uh, Hi, and welcome back to the show. 
Uh, what am I doing at this point? All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's Andy Kaufman. Hello, Andy. Hi. How are you? Thank you. Good to see you. Very, this is awfully a very nice surprise. What do you? Uh, what brings you here? Well, I'm in New York, and uh, I've been sleeping in doorways uh, uh, to see what it's like, and um, a very fascinating. It's true. I've, uh -huh. That's what I've been doing. That's I've haven't been in a in a bed or anything for for a few weeks now and a very fascinating thing uh happened to me um as i was uh, a few days ago i was in this doorway you know and um i i had i had needed a place to sleep yeah. you know and yeah. i was chased out of one place like i found an apartment it was dangerous a, doing this huh yeah it's yeah. an apartment house staircase and i was sleeping on it and and the, I was chased out of there by, I guess, the manager of the hotel uh -huh. or something, so I had to find a place to sleep. And I made a deal with myself that I would only stay on staircases and, um, you know, because I want to experience yeah. the... the and so anyway, this fascinating yeah, thing... I'm sorry, we, don't, we really don't have time. Um, Ed Newman is standing by this morning uh, with our NBC News update. And uh, Ed, are you there? I'm here, Dave. Okay, so yeah, you had other guys. You had Louis Anderson... Uh, Elaine Booster, uh, Boozler, sorry, yeah, Boozler, pronounced that wrong. Yeah. Elaine Boozler, uh, Byron Allen, Jack oh Hanley, uh, Steve Odekirk, Steve uh, Odekirk, and, and those were the Steve or Bob. Uh, no, Steve Odekirk. Odekirk. He's the one oh. that did. Uh, I don't know if you remember it in the early two thousands. There was a movie called Kung Pao Fist. Oh man, I love that movie. And that was him. I love that. He movie. also did. Uh, I mean, that that was for my generation. But Ace Ventura, he actually yeah. had a lot of hand in the Ace really? Ventura movies. He actually wrote and directed the second movie for Jim That's Carrey. Crazy. He was one of Jim Carrey's uh, buddies from the comedy just store. They were kind about, of buddy. Think about that list that you just gave. I mean that is that is oh I mean, and those those people are all pretty much legends. I don't even have enough paper to yeah. write. I mean that that's just a specific like group that he wrote for Jimmy Walker with at that time frame. You had you name it. Yeah, you know what I mean seventies yeah. comedians. Yeah. Name it. They were there. Yeah, prior all and, of them and all know? of them built everything you saw in the eighties and nineties. Oh, absolutely, you know? and, and and all the footwork starts late sixties, yeah. early seventies for not most just, of them. Not just yeah. Letterman stuff. I mean, you're talking SNL. You're talking about whatever other comedy shows were on. Comedy I mean, just, period. Just comedy in general. I think that's where like the roots of what modern comedy is, mm -hmm. and it comes like you said earlier. Uh, you have TV taking off after World War II in the, yeah. the late 40s, early 50s is yeah. when they're starting to figure out what they're going to do with network television. Yeah. Like they didn't even know. The TV executives didn't know what what it was. It was all experimental. It was all well, new and fresh. Well, even the people in the audience didn't know. I yeah, mean, nobody knew. Yeah. You're just sitting there hoping you're going to get a good show. That's right. And then you, you have like the Steve Allen show yeah. and a lot of the antics and stuff and the, the, the quirky humor that he had. And you and I have talked about that before, about all the influences that somebody like Steve Allen had on him. Um, when you look back at some of that old Steve Allen stuff, it is it is almost verbatim what's, what what Letterman did later as almost an homage or a, or a whatever or a continuation of his type of humor. Yeah, no, even knowing Johnny Carson is one of his major influences, you yeah. look at Steve Allen and you can't, you, there's no way that you could argue that he did not get some of that stuff from him. And even in some of the interviews that I've listened to of Letterman, he's even stated, you know, 
the tea bag uh, yep. thing that Steve yep. Allen did, where he co- covered himself in tea bags and yep. jumped in a vat of hot water, yep. which then Letterman would kind of do something reminiscent with of Velcro. that with yeah. not only with the Velcro but with the Alka Seltzer suit. Oh, that's right. I and forgot the, about and he jumped that. Yeah. in the the, the Alka Seltzer suit during those SNL Letterman years. Al Franken was one of the funniest guys in the world. Absolutely, and even to me, even when he segued into politics, yeah, he true. made politics funny. It's true. And David Letterman even attributes Al Franken for the reason why now he's even interested in politics. He said that the only reason why ever, uh, you, you know, as a late guy, you're not really supposed to show your leanings left or right. right. That was historically Johnny Carson made fun of both sides. Sure. And, and you have to keep your political affiliations reserved when you're making fun of everybody. Right, Because, right, right. you know, you don't want to make anybody anybody mad, I guess. But uh, so, yeah, uh so we're in the late 70s now. Yeah. Just one more thing. Um, some of those Franken and Davis, um, nobody really remembers Davis as his partner. Yeah, absolutely. But those two guys, man, they were some of the best best SNL writers. And then when they would appear, there was something with Letterman where he liked those comedy duos. Like he would have, um, I don't remember who the other guys' names are, but he would have a lot of comedy duos on. Specifically a comedy duo. uh I can't remember their name, and it really bothers me that I don't know their name after doing all this research. Is it Bob and... Um, Bob and something. Yeah. It's Bob it's, and David? Bob and something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob and something. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. I'll have it for the next show. We have an outstanding program. Bob and Ray are here tonight. Uh, but it's... He had him on his show yes. multiple times, yes. and he discusses their humor and stuff like that and their and that, jokes and everything. You know, that was, was the thing great. with him. Any Anybody that he had on multiple times, you knew he really liked them. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like— Because they had nothing to push. Well, that's the same with—same yeah. uh, with like Andy Kaufman. You yeah. know, like, why would you continually have a guy like that on your show if nothing but for pure entertainment and the fact that you appreciate yeah. what he does? Yeah, Kaufman if, had zero to push. I mean, zero. He, he would like come on and Letterman would ask him, you know, hey, what's going on? What do you got go- coming up? And he's yeah. like, nah, nothing. Never <laughs> been one, never been one like him before him, and there will yeah. never be another like him yeah, after. There's I nobody agree. that will ever be able to nail that that specific uh, genre of humor that he had. He was the meta guy. Yeah, he, absolutely uh, super meta. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, he invented meta as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so we're back at um we we were we were doing the radio stuff and now we he's moved to LA. Okay. And now we start getting some of those game show. Oh, <laughs> uh, it it you know and with the, all these game shows and stuff, I imagine for David Letterman it was probably one a laugh riot. It was probably one of the some of the funnest stuff he did. At least it <laughs> appears that way to me like it does. he seems like yeah. I don't want to be here. This is not what I want to do with my life. <laughs> but that was everywhere he was. That was everywhere he was. He was always, I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Even with The Tonight Show, he didn't yeah, want to be there. You absolutely, know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, so you started off with something called Word Grabbers, which <laughs> it was awful. just the stupidest concept where they would say a thing, and then if you guess the word, you got to pass the thing on to the next person or whatever. Yeah. It, it was just silly. Uh, it was password, but like, they they didn't. It's almost like they didn't have any other versions of game shows. They couldn't come up with other versions of game shows, so they so just, they just recycled they already, them. Yeah, they it was just like the ten thousand dollar pyramid, yeah, right. the twenty thousand dollar pyramid, right. the thirty thousand, yeah. et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then you went on to uh, well, he was on the Gong Show, yeah, which the Gong, the Gong show. show was one of my favorites. 
And um, that's not I, one that I'm familiar with. Really, the no, Gong Show. I, yeah, I wasn't. That was the first uh, clip I'd Oof. ever seen of the Gong Show. The Gong Show, man. If you ever wanted anything that made people feel uncomfortable, the Gong Show would do it for you. We're lucky to have this man with us today because he really doesn't need this job. He sells five-day deodorant pads as diapers for infant midgets. Ladies and gentlemen, David Letterman. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Anna, boy, I am still uh, limp from excitement, frankly, and, uh... Okay, I'll handle this, Anna, if you don't mind. Now, I've given you a six, almost too much entertainment, you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> the Gong Show was, um... It was it, it, the setup for the Gong Show is it's a talent show basically. Okay. And they would have four quote unquote celebrities over on the side, and they were the judges for this talent show. And if they didn't like what somebody was doing, they'd hit the gong and they were gone. Okay. If they did like what they were doing, they let them continue, and then at the end, everybody would get judged and they'd have one big winner. Isn't that kind of like that the Apollo it. Theater? Yeah, you pretty stand much. up. If you don't get the cheers, they it was drag like you off that. the stage. Yeah, it was okay. kind of like that. But they would literally hit a gong in the middle of it and just oh, drag wow. them off stage. You know, see you, bye, you're done. That's kind of that's kind of humorous. It was great. Yeah, that sounds it like it would great. be great. And they tried to redo the gong show several times, but to see Letterman as a host, that's one of those that makes me think, oh crap! I guess I did see Letterman before I actually saw Letterman. Yeah, you know, unrelated. I watched every Gong Show episode. Unrelated to this, Jay Leno is actually bringing back Groucho Marx's uh, game show that he had in the the fifties. Secret Word one. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, the very first one that he did. Yeah, uh, the one where the dr the duck would drop from the absolutely. ceiling with the word on it. Yeah, so yeah. Jay Leno's actually start supposed oh, to start wow. recording for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's I thought cool. that was pretty that's neat. Cool. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Jay Leno fan in the world because I took sides. You know, well, <laughs> I was like, I'm in Letterman camp. That's it. I don't want any more Leno. I like his humor. He's funny. But as a person, no, I'm not a big fan at all. L Leno was extremely funny on Letterman. Oh, he, he was would hilarious. Bring those, those headlines, you know, and stuff and just talk about that kind of stuff. And it was, it was fantastic. And then to see him transition into the host of The Tonight Show was just crazy to me. Yeah, it was. And, and, even, and even David Letterman gives him his flowers. You know, he even says right. he's one of the funniest guys he's ever met in his life. He's yeah. one of the smartest. He's one of the most appealing. But again, uh, with comedians, there's that insecurity oh, that they all have inside of them, I feel 1, like. 1,000%. You know, so. so Gong Show, then we went to Word Grabbers, and then we had something called the Smart Alex. This is, now we're talking like 1977. Yeah, we're in the, the see, so, so between uh, 77 really is, it's like between 77 and 80 is where you get a, the, 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 the largest concentration uh -huh. of his appearances uh -huh. is around the, the, those three years. Somebody found him. Somebody from NBC, store. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh, here's a guy we can use. Well, they had guys on the ground in yeah. comedy shops probably all over the United States, I would imagine, at that time, especially New York and L.A., when that, like we like we just discussed, the, the comedy scene at that time was, it's the golden era of comedy as, really as we know it. Like, every major comedian that... I watched growing up in the late 90s and early 2000s, all the movies from the 90s and even mm -hmm. the movies in the 80s that we get yeah. that, that I watch yeah. were all of these comedians that come from these stores, these yeah. shops, these, yeah. these, these gatherings. Yeah, and, and Letterman was always one of those guys who kind of talked about that process um, of sending somebody to watch these guys perform and stuff and then bringing them on. And, and it felt like a competition almost between Carson Letterman and then, of course, Leno after that to get these guys on as fast as they could before the other guy got them. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. There was that, that level of competition, especially, uh, 
especially when you had uh, David Letterman and Jay Leno sing, you know, yeah. singular when it was just them two. Because at yeah. first, Johnny Carson ruled the, ruled the stage. Oh, absolutely. N- nobody had any kind of market share anywhere in that yeah. in that realm. And then now you have it divided, which NBC didn't want. Well, NBC it was either, did it, not want that. It was either you watch Carson or you watch some news or you turn your TV off. I mean, yeah, that absolutely. was really it. Signing you know? off, you yeah. know, yeah, you yeah. just you go you to bed. You get the American flag and, and that's you it. go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you stand up for the pledge right. and then you head to bed. <laughs> that's the way we did it in my house. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, again, we talked about Gong Show, Word Grabbers, Smart Alex, the Riddlers, uh, which are all just awful. Awful game shows. Um, well, but since we're that far, we're we're through the game shows. Uh, a lot of lot of lot of not a lot of people know that he did a screen test actually for Airplane. Did he really? He did in 1980 before the show started in the summer. It was January of 80, I believe. Uh, he actually God, screen he tested been good for airplane. airplane, and he was screen testing for the main character. The, he the would have been so good in Airplane. Oh, uh, he would have been hilarious. <laughs> and I think it might have like it, it's crazy to think what would have happened if he would he went have like yeah. a, on that trajectory. Would he went a Hollywood trajectory for yeah, that? I wonder. I think he would have been a movie guy. I wonder. I wonder. Huh. I did not know that. That's fantastic. I, I, I wonder if there's. I'm gonna have to see if I can. God, that just dig blew that my up. mind. Man. I wonder if there is a screen test. I wonder if there's any footage of that. I'm gonna <laughs> call would, NBC tomorrow. I'd love me, to see. I'm gonna call NBC tomorrow. Call NBC. Call NBC. I've not seen this. I'm not eager to see this. We'll have fun. Ted, you got a telegram this morning from headquarters. Headquarters. What is it? It's a big building where the officers meet. But that's not important right now. You're taking all the blame for what happened on that raid was a pretty courageous thing to do. Was it? Because of my mistake, six men didn't come back from that raid. Seven. Lieutenant Zip died this morning. (laughs) Dr. Chandler says you'll be out in a week. Isn't that wonderful? I wish I could say the same thing for George Zip. Ted, be patient. No one expects you to get over this immediately. I found a wonderful little apartment for us. It has a brick fireplace and a cute little bedroom with mirrors on the ceiling. Oh. What's wrong with him? It's Lieutenant Hurwitz, severe shell shock. He thinks he's Ethel Merman. You'll be swell. You'll be great. Gonna have the whole world. So the next thing on this list are, are the next three or four things. Um, you know, I thought the game shows were rough. But then you start getting into something called... Celebrity Cooks, which yeah. I had never seen the guy who hosts CBC. this. Uh, oh, is that what it was? CBC. It was Canadian? Yeah, it was, it was a Canadian broadcasting game. It was, never it was mind, then Canadian. it makes total sense. It does make total uh, sense, absolutely. <laughs> Canada is such a weird place. It, it is. Well, uh, not only is Canada a weird place, but the Canadian broadcasting. It is. It was... It was Northern humor. It was yeah. their humor. You know, so it's it's so, singular to Canada, I feel the, like. The whole setup to the show was they've got this guy, this little short guy, who I guess is a cook. I, I don't know exactly what he was. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, the the host, yeah, Again, I'm not sure if he was a cook or not. Was. Yeah, I didn't really know what his name was either. It was a really mm-hmm. odd, peculiar uh, thing for I feel like for for Letterman to participate yeah, in. I'm yeah. not even I wasn't even I couldn't even find really information about how he uh, got to that point to where he was on CBC uh, in Canada yeah, doing a just, cooking show. It just that. felt like somebody went, okay, we've got 14 appearances. How many do you want to send him on? And this was one of them that they chose. And I don't know why they did, because it's not like Letterman had had gone, you know, I really want to be a cooking guy or I want to be a chef or whatever. And so he goes on this thing, which 
the set kind of looks like um, you're in some, inside this guy's house, and Letterman makes pasta, uh, green pasta, and it ends up being terrible, and they end up spitting it all out and all this stuff. But it, it's it's so off brand for him to be the guy who's doing the things and not the guy t- to host the thing. Got everything you need there? Yeah, we got everything. We have everything. Want a little taste of wine? No, maybe well, maybe a little later. A little later? Yeah, okay, ahead. I'll put mine aside. Well, no, go too. ahead. No, get, no, no. Go no, ahead and no, get sloppy drunk. No, if you want not to. me, pal. Make no, a fool of yourself. No, not a bit. No, I'll just let it sit. Well, I might have just a taste. <laughs> you don't know what you're missing. Yeah. All right. What are you going to cook? Today, I was, of course, uh, first of all, I guess you folks read in the paper, I was going to prepare cream of monkey soup, but the... Uh, <laughs> oh, do you want me to slip this up a little higher? Excuse okay. me, Dave. Just, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the price of monkey being what it is, I've decided on something else. And uh, today, uh, fettuccine verde. Now, how many of you know what fettuccine means? Nobody here knows. It means bowling. And verde means green, bowling green. You familiar with the city of Bowling Green in Kentucky? <laughs> fettuccine verde is a small town in the Alps of Italy. And honestly, this is back in 1610, where Leonardo da Vinci first drew up the plans for the first practical automatic bowling ball return. And even with the, uh, even with some of the game shows, like oh, he, yeah. he, he's not hosting it, he's there, and, and that and that really allows him, I feel like, like again to flex, like to 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 be able to show off them talents. He's he's right. not got the pressure of standing there and running the show, which his show he never had to really, I, I don't feel like, it's, his show had its own legs, kind of mm-hmm. like Johnny Carson's. Mm-hmm. Once the monologue's done, the show walks. Yeah, yeah pretty much. And, and David Letterman always said that he had to work at it, but you, you don't feel that. You no. feel the same Johnny Carson feel, like Johnny Carson pretty much, as soon as he sat down, it was over. Yeah, His yeah. job was done. But you don't, you, you don't think anything about the fact that Letterman took the cards and he would throw them to the window and the glass break sound and all that stuff. You don't think anything about it, but somebody had to come up with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, because nobody was doing it before that. No, nobody was doing it. And then even, and even if you look at the early show, uh, the the the, the I say the early show, the, the David Letterman, show. Yeah. the show in the morning, he had you know little buzzers and stuff underneath the desk to hit to just just little <laughs> he loves his you know props. sounds yeah. and props yeah. and things like that that really you know uh, propped it up. One of my favorites that I see now um, as I watch these just non-associated clips on YouTube is the time that he had um, the water fountain in front of his desk. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that one. So it's like the, you know, if you go to if you go to Las Vegas, they've got those dancing fountains. Yeah, you know, the water fountain thing. The Bellagio fountain or whatever it is. And so he had a little one of those in front of his desk oh, that wow. he would just turn on every once in a while and the waters would just start dancing and stuff. That's and stuff. definitely, yeah, that's, that's on, on brand again for, for yeah, David Letterman. very much so. Absolutely. So the... the we also see him show up on Don Kirshner's rock concert, yep. which I think was a precursor for, um, oh, shoot, what they call that show? Uh, Midnight Special. They think one of the causes of crime in this country is now game shows. <laughs> That's right, because people watch them, you know, and they get real greedy, and then they go out and commit crime. I, I think that could be true. About a month ago, I was in my bank. A guy runs in, holds it up, takes about 10 hostages, locks them in the vault. And he said, all right, cops, listen up. I got 10 people in here. I'm going to read you a list of my demands. Play it safe. Nobody gets hurt. First of all, I want a $50 gift certificate from the Spiegel Catalog Company. <laughs> Spiegel featuring over 50,000 quality gift items. So there used to be a show on uh, called Midnight Special, and it was hosted by Wolfman Jack, if you remember him at all. 
Um, he was a radio DJ, I believe out of LA, uh, who became slightly famous for a while. And he would host this show where they would bring on bands and they'd have rock, you know, like a little rock concert for about an hour or whatever. And I believe Don Kirshner was involved in that. But anyway, those are the same type shows. And you see this one, the one that you sent me is from 1977. It's Letterman just doing his stand up again. And we talked about how, um, it's funny from watching these clips. I saw the same stand up from Letterman probably four times, same material, everything. You just see him trying to work it out, you know, working on his material and getting there. Um, yeah, it's it, like a knife. You can see that it started out dull. I mean, it was witty, but it was dull. Yeah, like listening yeah. to the early radio broadcast yeah, uh, yeah. from Ball State. And then you could literally see it on the grindstone sharpening and sharpening and sharpening with every appearance. And like I said, it was concentrated in the late 70s where you start to see all these appearances. But like you said, you could see the the compounding of how he starts off, you know, it's weak yeah. and it just gets strong and his yeah. joke just gets to where it's just solid. And, 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 and that was one of the things, uh, for, for when he had his first appearance on Johnny, he was super nervous, super, super nervous about yeah. being on Johnny Carson, which sure. I can imagine anybody. Would oh yeah. Be. It was the biggest show on the planet. Yeah, absolutely. So he had practiced it so much that, his, he, he overcame the nerves. So yeah. he was super nervous through yeah. the whole bit, but he knew he had practiced it so much that it was a flawless delivery kind of thing. Right. And and I, that's what's great about him, I feel like, was was that early work ethic to do nothing for the rest of your career. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he literally grinded from 19 to 31-ish. Mm -hmm. I think it was around 31, 32 when he got the, the show on NBC. And he got and, it right and kind of coasted. And that was it. And he, yeah. And he... Put it in low Even the one CBS and show is the through. same show. I mean, Absolutely. it's the same show. But um, well, I, yeah, the morning show. Uh, what was neat about it was a lot of the early stuff that you see, like I said, with Stupid Petrix yeah. and with uh, yeah. with all of that. That all started with the day show, the daytime show. Yeah. So let's talk about that daytime show uh, in just a second. I want to okay. get to one thing before we talk about. Yeah, that. sure. What you got? One of these things that's kind of in the middle of all this stuff is something called the Starland Vocal Band Show. The Starland Vocal Band Show. Yeah. That is the weirdest friggin' thing I've ever watched in my life. It is it is an odd show that seems very forced, uh, yeah. based on a, a rock, quote-unquote, light rock group that produced one song, basically. They're known for that one song, which is Afternoon Delight. Yeah, that's it. The Starland Vocal Band. Thinking of you, looking up my ass. Recognize that hit? Well, tonight the group that made it famous travels from Washington, D.C. to Malibu, California, giving concerts and performing with some of America's brightest comedians. That's the only song they're known for. <laughs> That's it. And then the show basically is them getting into like a good times van and traveling from place to place, singing to people. In the meantime, Letterman will show up and make a joke. Yeah, it's or awkward so, as shit. <laughs> the show is super it's awkward. It's so awkward. It's, it's literally one of the most awkward things I think I've watched from that era of TV, which oh. you, there's a lot of awkwardness in TV. There is a lot of awkwardness in the late 70s. In the late 80s? 70s and the oh 80s. Because, again, they had, they had had the golden era. you got to think at that time in the 70s and 80s, the golden era of TV is over. The 50s, yeah. 60s is over. Yeah. So they're reinventing television at this time and trying to figure out, well, what do we do next with network television? To me, it felt like the the uh, transition from old SNL to new cast 
almost, but in TV, uh, you know, in overall TV, like you had this great show with these great people and they all went on to become stars and stuff. And then you replaced the entire cast with a bunch of people that nobody knew. And so this new TV, like Starland Vocal Band, Peeping Time, and even the Mary Tyler Moore variety show, it's just so weird and uncomfortable. Dead skunk in the middle of the road. Dead skunk in the middle of the road. Dead skunk in the middle of the road. Stinking to high heaven. Should have looked left. Fellas, can you knock it off? Hold it, guys. Hold it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, our announcer, David Letterman. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. What are you doing out here? You know, I was just about to ask you the same thing. <laughs> well, I was trying to open the show. Yeah. With dead skunks in the middle of the road? <laughs> yeah, stinking to high heaven. It's a real song, David. I thought it would be a cute way to open. <laughs> you think dead skunks are cute? Well, yeah, in the middle of the road. <laughs> Listen, you want to do something that's cute and entertaining to open the show with. Answer questions from the audience. Questions from the audience? Oh, It's surefire, it can't miss. I can't do it. Why not? Because Carol Burnett did it. Yeah, right, poor Carol. It hardly worked for her. <laughs> only on the air 11 big years. I know, I know, but see, I'm not always that quick with jokes. I mean, you know, I can't be funny all the time. Well, so you don't have to be funny, just be honest. They'll ask you real easy questions, like what's your favorite color? Yeah, well, see, I like a lot of colors. All right, that's a toughie, but you'll be able to handle questions. You'll be able to handle questions like, you know, where are you from, how you got started in show business, do you still stay in touch with Maury Amsterdam? You know? Yeah, I think I could handle that. It is. There, it, it's, it seems so strained. Uh -huh. like, the NBC, like NBC had all this money from, of course, the Johnny Carson show at sure. this time, the amount of money he was... Sure. It was somewhere in the $50 million range a year. Yeah. And you gotta think that's in the 70s. Which now is quadrupled at, Probably at the two, very I, least. I, I think yeah. the numbers I looked at was like 200 million yeah. would be the inflation. Yeah. Sure. And uh, it's just it, it, insane to think that the amount of money that, that that one show generated allowed for them to explore all these mm -hmm. weird variety shows that you had. And there was, and, and it's just a, a lack of what to do. They didn't, yeah. you know, they had all this time to fill, but yeah. they had nothing to fill it with. Yeah. And, and back to the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, the Mary, it was called Mary was the name of the variety show. Yeah. And uh, that really is where Johnny Carson sees Letterman. Mm -hmm. So that's where they first, like Johnny Carson makes his first connection to Letterman was watching him on that variety show. Right. And that is what leads to his first appearance. So with Johnny Carson, Mary Tyler Moore is one of those that, that Letterman has also always had a huge fondness for. They've a lot all, of interviews, yeah. He's got he's had her on his show. They've always gotten along really, really well, and he's credited her with really kind of jump-starting his career. Yeah, and a lot of the interviews, again, that I've listened yeah. to, he mentions Mary Tyler Moore yeah. as, uh, as a launching point. And I think it has to do with both of them being from the Midwest and both of them having the kind of the same sensibilities, kind of the same, um, when you think about it, kind of the same um, uh, style. Almost. Mary Tyler Moore was always one of those people that, that you got way more out of her than you thought you would. You know, um, she was good at interviews. She was good at stuff like that. She was just more put together than Letterman. 
but they had that same kind of Midwest, you know, sense of humor, those dad jokes, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that was definitely something that, that got him going between then there was something called peeping times, P E E P I N G times. And that, um, it felt like somebody didn't know whether to put news or comedy on TV at, at that time. Like it was Letterman and another guy hosting this thing. And when you when you watch the beginning, they tell you everything that's going to be in the show. And then they have them kind of sitting at this point-counterpoint kind of thing where they're both in chairs and they talk yeah. to each other, but they don't look at each other. And there's a big green screen behind them, which is showing all these clips and stuff. It was, it was awful also. America was founded by immigrants. We are the so-called melting pot of the world. And most of those immigrants entered this nation legally. Today, however, illegal aliens are a great and continuing problem. On this subject, we filed this report. There are 77 checkpoints along the border. This is one of them, the Mexican border. Thousands of illegal aliens come to the United States every year. How do they do it? What precautions are taken? We talked to Border Patrolman James W. Hansen from Checkpoint 54. Officer Hansen, how long have you been patrolling this border? Oh, I'd say 10, 12 years. Do you enjoy this sort of work? Yes, I do, Dan. Very much. <laughs> I feel we're doing something important here, and I can honestly say I think we're doing our best. Well, how do you explain so many aliens crossing the border illegally every year? Well, I don't know, Dan. I'm completely dumbfounded. I know that Larry and I do our job very thoroughly here at this checkpoint. Well, there must be various methods that aliens use. What do you do specifically to make... Yeah, it was awful, but uh, there's a lot of... Uh, there's, um, you know, iconic people that were involved in that, yes. too. You know, Barry yes. Levinson was a part of that. And Barry really? Levinson, Barry Levinson. Yeah, mm-hmm. Barry Levinson is a Academy Award-winning yeah, director. Yeah. Um, Rain Man was mm-hmm. what he's most mm-hmm. known for. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was actually a part of the Peeping, Peeping Times thing. And it's really cool to see all of these... Things that he did and all these appearances that he had yeah. and all of the people that were around him at that time. You know, the other my mind. we're talking about that that kind of uh, that that change from one uh, kind of group to another group. It also also in all of these clips, you can feel it kind of changing from the 70s to the 80s. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like absolutely. The humor and stuff. Uh, you, you see very much the 70s influence, but then it kind of starts going away and goes more towards what we're used to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it, it segues into like a modern humor, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. As, as far as, as modern comedy has developed, uh, it's, it's definitely different than the 50s and 60s, you know? It, right. It's 50s and 60s, you know, everybody can sit in front of the TV and watch it. Yeah, sure. You know, me, you, mom, dad, sure. everybody. The dog, cat, it was it was appropriate for all audiences. Yeah. And uh, the cat's the one that always grabs. Yeah, yeah, cats, cat, sure. cat, always the cat. Yeah, it's yeah. always the cat. <laughs> but at, at at this time in the seventies and eighties and stuff like that, it's just a reinventing of yeah. everything that had to do with TV. And it was just yeah. all the all these comics had all these influences from you know Jack Benny and and, and mm-hmm. uh, Jim Parr and and all these guys. And it all starts with Jack Parr. Sorry, Jack Parr, Jack Parr, yeah, not yeah, Jim yeah. Parr, Jack yeah, Parr. That's Parr. And, uh, I'm sure there was a Jim Parr. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, there's sure. somewhere in the world. Jim Parr Chevrolet. Yeah, there you go. That's probably yeah Jim <laughs> Hoffpair. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know it's it's 
what I know as humor is where this comes from, where David Letterman, you know, begins his career. There, there's a couple other things that, that you sent me, which are um, uh, also as weird. Uh, he was on a game show called Decisions, Decisions, 78, 79. Listen carefully now. On this question, our research source is the University of Southern California's Department of Biological Sciences. Oh, yeah. Now, which one of these animals is more sexually active in the reproduction of offspring or children? Let's take a look at our choices. We have up there a mink, a rabbit, a hummingbird, an elephant, a termite, and a praying mantis. Now, Madeline, what are you laughing at, Madeline? <laughs> I was just thinking that mantis praying, you know? <laughs> yeah, and we know what he's praying for, don't we, Madeline? Okay, now, Madeline, you're going to have to use your intuition and your knowledge to decide which two of these six choices you're going to present to David. Now, make it as easy for David as you can, because David's then going to make a decision. Okay. What do you say, man? Yeah, well, let's bring down the rabbit. Let's bring down the rabbit. We will do that. You'll be picking another one while the rabbit's on his way down. Yeah, and then we'll take the elephant. <laughs> Boy, you, you certainly got both ends of the pole there, man. <laughs> we, we have the rabbit on one hand and the elephant standing on my foot. David, the choice is yours. I'll restate it. Which one of these animals is more sexually active in the reproduction of little ones or well, big ones? Let's see. Uh, those are fine choices, by the way, Madeline. Let's see, an elephant. I think an elephant is you have to rent all that equipment and so forth. I uh, <laughs> get yourself a forklift. Uh, true, true. It needs a rotor rotor. <laughs> it's um, we're looking for the most prolific. The most, most prolific, yeah, the one with the most active. I would think between the, of the two, it would have to be the rabbit. I I, I certainly would think that, but I've always been told. But for all I know, I've always heard that it had been an old hare's tail or something. You chose rabbit, going for point number one. Between the rabbit and the elephant, which one is the more sexually active? Certainly the rabbit, and you got a point. That's the idea. Okay, Madeline, you're rolling now. Keep trying to make the choices easy. Rabbit stays. Pick another one, Madeline. Um, there's a piece of stand-up you sent me. Again, that stand-up is, is basically the same jokes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then there's... Probably what is the weirdest thing on this list is David Letterman hosting Us Magazine's Look at the 70s. Absolutely. He was a hot item yeah. in 1980. At this yeah. point, David Letterman's done all of the appearances that he's done. And uh -huh. historically, he he's the guy that raises his hand for any job. If, if anything shows you that they didn't know what to do with him, this is the antithesis of that. Oh, yeah pinnacle peak you it know all of that because yeah. he is not the guy for this show no and and there's no like if you watch it there's no humor it's no he had to talk like he had to talk scripted. about like anwar sadat and stuff yeah. you know i mean you know <laughs> yeah it's it's wholly scripted yeah he's reading it a is. script he's definitely reading a script from from whoever whoever gave him that job it, it's reading a script it felt like david letterman hosts 60 minutes or That's something like that. Absolutely, you know? what it felt like. Yeah, <laughs> David Letterman this is on sixty so minutes. Weirdest thing I've yeah. ever seen. It was so odd. But us in the seventies. The Census Bureau counted nearly two hundred eight million of us at the beginning of the decade. What were we like? Who made us smile? What villains did we boo? What heroes did we cheer? And who made us just plain stare? But. Without that, he wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten the morning show. 
And so let's let's transition to that and talk about this morning show. Do you know how many episodes there were? Uh, I don't know exactly yeah. how many episodes were, yeah. but I can tell you it was only for a summer. Right. They only lasted for one summer, yeah. and uh, it was the summer of uh, 80. Right. Summer of 1980. So 1980. Um, well, before the show, yeah. we have to talk about how he gets the show. Okay. Okay, so 77, 78. Comedy store. Yeah. Around seventy eight is when he made his Johnny Carson Carson appearance. Gotcha. And at that time God. the Johnny Carson show Think about that. That's probably like Robin Williams. It's probably oh, that that is. That's, same Rob, area. that's Robin Williams, that's Louis Anderson, that's yeah. Drew Carey. Yeah. I mean, they were all around this yeah. time in the late seventies. Yeah. Uh so he goes on the Johnny Carson show. Mm-hmm. Uh, nervous, mm-hmm. practices set thousand times in the yeah. mirror. Yeah. Goes in, nails it. Kills it. Yeah. You could hear in the clip, uh-huh. Johnny Carson in the background, he hawing like a yeah. donkey. Yeah, you hear him. You think he's yeah. going to kick the desk at any yeah. minute. Like, yeah. you know, it's just you could hear him really yeah. like, and not just laughter to appease somebody. No, no, this is really genuine laughter. From yes. here and mm-hmm. up. And mm-hmm. there was a there was a joke that David Letterman about rolling a joint with a pamper. Yes. And the second he sits down with <laughs> Carson, that's the first thing he says, oh, that that's was right. a good one. That, right. that was a good one. And he said, oh, that's fresh. That's that's new. That's, that's uh-huh. hip. Even though, even though if we go through this list, we've seen that same joke, uh, like nine times. Yeah. We've seen that same joke. We've seen bits and pieces of that particular bit. And I really Mm -hmm. think how he introduced himself was hilarious. He goes to the crowd and he goes, well, who's been here before? Well, who's been here with somebody who's been here before and he goes on and that was like, oh, it was hilarious how he, how he, how he sets himself up. And, and, and then that's that uncomfortable. That's the uncomfortable yeah. thing. My next guest is a young performer, a comedian who was a regular on the recent Mary Tyler Moore variety series. He appears regularly here in town, here in town at the Comedy Store and uh, will be hosting the Rose Bowl Parade for television on the 1st of January. Would you welcome, please, David Letterman. David. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How many of you folks here have never been to a TV studio before? Applaud if you've never been to one of these places. How many of you, how many of you have been here before? Applaud if you have been here before. Okay. All right, now, how many of you who have never been here before today are here with somebody who has been here before? Applaud. Okay, now, listen carefully. This gets a little confusing at this point. Huh? How many of you out of that last group are in this country illegally? Could we just hear? Great, fine. Looking for yard work, I'll bet. Well, nice to have you here. <laughs> I, uh... And then you see literally the shining moment, the the glory moment, the the pinnacle of David Letterman's early career yeah. is he gets the nod. Yes. Come have a seat. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know, um, and we're talking to everyone uh, <laughs> at this point, it feels, Everybody. Like, it feels like when you talk about this stuff now that nobody understands what the hell you're Probably talking not. about. Yeah. This is targeted for 50s and 60-year-olds. Uh, yeah, We'll be releasing this in a nursing home near you yeah. soon. Enjoy this, children. We're, yeah, we're recording live from a geriatric center. <laughs> That's right. um, so, so at the time, uh, again, like you said, uh, Johnny Carson was the biggest thing in the world. Right. He was the guy. He was it for TV, for sure. He was basically the guy who made the decisions on who was going to be a national comic and who wasn't. Because his guys would go to the comedy store and they'd go to wherever else and watch these comedians. They'd invite them back. 
And then basically what you got to do is you would do, you know, like a two minute set or whatever on Carson or on the tonight show. And then if Johnny really liked you, he had the, uh, ability or the, the option to just go, Hey, come on over and sit down and let's talk. Yeah, absolutely. So if you got invited over, it was a huge deal. Yeah. It's like you kill your set. The yeah. teacher gives you an A, he yeah. gives you the nod. You hear him hee-hawing like a donkey in the background. Yep. Yep. And then he waves you over to sit down. Yeah. That's like 15 extra credit points. Yeah. It's, know? it's, it's basically, uh, it, it felt very much like uh, the movie Gladiator, you know, with with uh, the the emperor with the thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing. Yeah. That's really what it was, and that's and it literally could make or break your career. Yeah. Being on if like if you killed, man, you'd have yeah. phone calls all day, every day from there yeah. from, from the next day on, and you, you're you're set. Like you're gonna make your your stamp. Yeah. But if you didn't get the nod, yeah, might as well might as well call it career over. Byron Allen, I think it was that I'm thinking of. Um, he said something about being on Carson several times and then finally getting that nod, like on the fifth or sixth time he was there, something like that. I mean, there were guys who kept plotting away and plotting away and finally got invited over. But uh, Letterman and a select few uh, got the initial nod. Just the they first the time nod. you yeah, did it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. yep. And and again, I think it goes back to that Midwestern kind of the way they got along, their sense of humor, all of that. Yeah, stuff. being Midwest, and and it's really funny that a lot of the broadcasting that like the the strength in broadcasting where you yeah. get all of these humorous broadcasters and stuff is really in that Midwestern area. It's crazy. Yeah, it it's is like really a crazy. comedy belt. Yeah, almost, you know, it's, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, 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 a belt or a pit, whatever yeah. you want to call it. I, I, I feel like now uh, everybody comes from either California or New York, but at that time, we 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 as a country drew from the middle of the country as yeah, far as comedy goes. Yeah, and I think that that's because to do everybody with the, got it. Yeah, everybody got it, and I think when you pull somebody from Middle America like that, especially in that time frame, is where you get the uh, the cul-de-sacs of the '50s and the '60s, and when sure. you start getting the suburban yeah. lifestyle. Because before then, everybody was you know more, it was a more rural yeah. country yeah, yeah, at that yeah. time. You didn't have a national highway system at that time. Right. You didn't have any of these things. You know, you you had dirt roads pretty much right. in a lot of places with two lane highways everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the Midwest was where broadcasting really begins. Yeah. And I, I think it has a lot to do also that that transition we were talking about between the 70s and 80s, I think, has a lot to do with Vietnam and Nixon and all of the stuff that went on then and how the people in the middle of the country felt about things rather than how they felt about it on either coast. Yeah. And it was it was interesting to hear David Letterman's perspective on that kind of stuff, because David Letterman himself was uh, he said where they were at, they were fairly isolated from yeah. from the unrest and everything. And yeah. I thought that was fairly interesting because you would think that being there in Indiana, you know, it, it, it would be it would be a hotbed for. Yeah. For that, but he said in Muncie, Indiana, he said that he vaguely knew of the stuff that was going on politically. Right. And uh, he said that it, may, it the Vietnam War became real to him whenever uh, he had a buddy get drafted and went over there yeah. and then boom, yeah. like gone, like that kind right. of thing, you know. And that happened to a lot of people, I'm sure. Sure. And uh, you can feel the way that it. it he never it, avoided, though. No. Yeah, he never he never tried to dodge anything. Uh, no. He got lucky at the time is, is when they removed the draft and they went to the national lottery. Right. And uh, for those that don't know that during Vietnam War, they had a, a national draft where you were drafted. Yeah. And that yeah. Was it, it was old school. Yeah. I mean, old school yeah. draft style. You get a letter in the mail or somebody shows up at your house or yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's it. And uh, 
they changed that. I can't remember mm. what president it was that actually changed it, but they changed it to a, a national lottery, which ended I up putting. I say LBJ, but I'm not 100 percent sure. No, it wasn't LBJ. It was whoever was after LBJ, I think, that did it. No. But uh, okay. uh, or before LBJ, well, it doesn't matter. Whatever president yeah, did it, did whatever. It. So uh, this is not what this is about. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> so David Letterman had, uh, he, like I said, he never avoided anything. Yeah, and. He, he, he got lucky and didn't end up getting didn't drafted. Didn't win the lottery. Didn't win yeah. the lottery. And won whenever the, they... Won the laugh lottery instead. Yeah, he was number 366. Wow. And that was his, his number in the lottery out of 390, I think it was. So, you know, he was never going pretty That's much. Crazy. So that was when he was able to have a sigh of relief. So so let's, let's, move, to, um, let's move to this daytime show. Okay, so you've got the... Three years of Carson appearances yeah. around this time. You know, 78 yeah. is when he gets his first appearance. Still uh, working on, on his stand-up, all of that Yeah, stuff. Comedy Store. Sure. Still working the Comedy Store. Uh-huh. At this point in the Comedy Store, he's more of a, uh, you know, he's a celebrity figure walking sure. around. You get your Johnny Carson nod, and yes. you get to sit down in the yes. chair, and you get to comfortably, you know, he, he didn't look uncomfortable. That's the thing that right. you would think your first time sitting down with, what at that time would be the greatest guy in TV, and there was no uncomfortable. David Letterman was just so David Letterman. You with him, feel you know? like you feel like that during that time, the lead up to the show is where he made a lot of his connections, like with uh, additional comics and and just people in the industry and stuff like that. Yeah, between the show and the Comedy Store, absolutely, yeah. that's where he yeah. gets a lot of what you'll see on his shows. He gets mm-hmm. a lot of. Uh, a lot of the people that come on his shows later on are definitely people that he started out with in his early career. And the comedy store is the one that's owned by uh, what's his name's mom, Polly Shore's yeah, mom. Yeah, was owned by Polly Shore's uh, mom. Absolutely, right? I believe she's, that's. She's passed I believe since, that. Yeah. yeah, I believe that's the store, the yeah. comedy store. Yeah, that's the world famous comedy store. Imagine having a son that unfunny and owning oh a comedy God. store. Can you even imagine? <laughs> yeah. you, you think you got disappointment in your kids? Just yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what if your kid was Polly Shore? What if your kid was Polly Shore? Yeah, absolutely. And you owned a comedy club. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To own the comedy club and have his son that unfunny <laughs> has to be one of the most embarrassing things in the world. Yeah. No, no offense to anybody who likes Paulie Shore, but you're an idiot. No, complete offense. <laughs> no, complete offense. I want you to take offense to that. Absolutely. Paulie I want an email. Shore. I want an email that says you're offended by that. Paulie Shore was an idiot. Yeah, he was. Garbage. Um, yeah. That thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Quit yeah, it. not even funny. <laughs> so when we when when I look at any of the reruns or it, reruns, listen to me. Uh, I'm a hundred years old. When when I look at any of the um the, the the videos of that daytime show that he had, it is literally the same template as late night with David Letterman. It just happens in the morning. Yeah, it'll it'll end up being the pretty much the exact same format where yeah. you get the uh uh, at the beginning where before the camera pans on to David Letterman, you get the non sequitur, yep. you know, uh, so and so, you know, introducing the the, yeah, yeah. the world's, you know, smartest, whatever, you know, right, you, you, right, you, you, right, you've right. watched, you know, so yeah. there, there's thousands of but them. But even, even like the transitions in commercials and stuff, they still had like, uh, it wasn't Photoshop back then, but it was the Photoshopped images or the weird, you know, the little whatever. splashes. Yeah. And, and if you go back and I really think it's awesome because I was watching a lot of Johnny Carson and doing this research sure. too. And he had the same thing where he had the really odd splash screens or whatever in between like more to come, oh, did he really? more to come thing like oh, see, that. I don't remember that, but you could literally make a fortune just off of t-shirts. If you took these little just things those screens and, and you put them, put them on a t-shirt and sold it, you'd, you'd make a fortune. You're They're welcome public. So awesome. Like some of the graphics and yeah. stuff that they use for those transitions yeah. are insane. But yeah, back to that. Uh, so yeah. So, so with David Letterman, all of the, a lot of the things that you get from the morning show is where he, 
would eventually put his foundations. Sure. You had a you had that a, is the foundation, you know. You had a like an extended uh basic talk show set. Yeah. You know, where you've got a desk, you got a guy sitting behind it, you got a couple of chairs next to him. The thing that always catches me weird is that the guest comes out from the wrong side. So like when you're when you're looking at it on TV, the guest comes from yeah. the other side they, instead of coming they, this way. If you're looking at him on TV, the guest would come out from the right side, which we're used to Johnny everybody Carson show everybody comes on your left. Well, Carson was Carson, well I guess it would be Carson's left. Yeah, but if you're watching left. it, it would come out from the right also. Yeah, yeah, from the right. But what I'm talking about is any any Letterman show past that was everybody would come out from... The opposite side of the desk. Right. Yeah, instead of coming out from the far side of the desk, right. they were coming out on the near side. Yeah, yeah. and so it always throws me because I, I have to... I have to do a double take when I see that morning show because I think it's late night, honestly. But when they come out from the weird side and then when I see the band leader who is not Paul Schaefer... Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, when it, that's when it gets me. And the other thing that struck me as watching this daytime stuff is... It's the exact same jokes, right? Same setups, everything, but that crowd just doesn't get it. That no, crowd is yeah. not the same crowd at all. No, it's not the same crowd. And I feel like this crowd of people here was, uh, it's less of people who want to be there and people filling the room. You yes, know what I mean? Yes. Like later on in the career, obviously, there's people who choose to be at a show. It's people right. who fight to get tickets, sit in lines they, for years. They didn't make it into the prices right. And so this was also available. Yeah, this is also thing. available. That's yeah, they had yeah. like, okay, well, here's a list of, you know, <laughs> shit we're doing today. Uh, what do you want to be a part of? <laughs> this, this, or this? This one's full. This one's full. This one's full. Uh, well, How about the David Letterman well, show? Shit, just put me in the David Letterman show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so it's 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 really odd to watch that. And then um, I don't know when the transition happened, but do you remember the original band leader's name? The original band leader's name? Yeah, yeah. The original band leader was uh, he actually started out at the Apollo. Okay. Uh, his name was Frank Owens. There we was go. His name Frank. Owens. So Frank Owens and his his orchestra or whatever. They yeah, orchestra. It, it was right? called Frank Owens, and I think they called it the. Uh, the symphony orchestra or something yeah, along some, those lines? something like that. It's the last David Letterman show live with Edwin Newman with the NBC News and Frank Owens and the David Letterman Symphony Orchestra. Plus, David's guests, the David Letterman Show family of the air, including writers, crew, and staff, singer Harv Mann, and the chorus line from the Rainbow Grill production of Kicks, and letters from viewers. Once you get through the show and you start, you know, realizing that it doesn't work for the time slot they were in and the ratings are just terrible, uh -huh. they get ready to decide whether they're going to cancel it or not. Well, they cancel it. And for three weeks after that, David is just like, boom, yeah. I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. He said, this is where I get to stretch yeah. and really they've canceled me. So what can I do? What, right. what, what else can I do to get canceled? You know, the weird, the, the, as again, um, uh, showing that they didn't know what to do with him. 
in the middle of this morning show. Think about, uh, and this is for people listening, think about um, watching Late Night with David Letterman, but they stop it dead ass in the middle and go, here's Edward R. Murrow to read the news or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Ed Newman. Yeah, Ed they Newman. used Ed Newman of NBC yeah. to do the news. It was news. just yeah. so weird. Like, And it was straight up news. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was like depressing shit, too. And that was in their longer the longer shows because yes. they actually got cut to 60 minutes. Yes. So that yes. was in the longer form show, which I think they actually did away with that. Ed Newman is a uh, long time, yeah. long guy, like serious guy started off in newspaper in the forties. Yeah. And yeah. then of course, segued into radio in the late forties, uh-huh. which radio, uh, that's where a lot of these guys are getting their early humor too. even, sure. even David Letterman attributes yeah. some of some, some radio to, to his, you know, to his upcoming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you think about some of that weird radio uh, that was going on back then, again, it was just media in general. People were trying to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, you know how to be funny, absolutely. How to how to entertain. Um, but the the daytime show again, it 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 is very much a template for what he would go on to do. And um, you know what the NBC executives wanted to call his show? What's that? They wanted to call it "Leave It to Dave," oh, which God. which Dave which Dave himself said that is a disaster from word <laughs> number one. He said that is a disaster from word number one, and he said that the set was a uh, it was like a throne of pyramids. Yeah, and it had like shag carpet walls, and he he, he said that it looked like an old Egyptian theme sale at a carpeteria. <laughs> You know, and uh, it was just, it, it was, it Leave was a travesty. It could, a it could have been name. bad. Could have been oh. bad. Yeah. Imagine if it was named Leave It to Dave instead of the Dave Letterman show. The, the show, the show was not terrible, but you feel so uncomfortable watching it because again, like I said, the audience is just not the audience for it. It's not, it's not the time slot. It's, it's not, not the, the time it's slot. not anything. I think it, at one point you and I talked about how they would break and give the weather. Also, yeah, they would do weather. They would do news. Yeah, they would. They would. They added all that in there. Yeah, they added all of that. <laughs> Such a weird. Tra- just, just imagine, like, if you put it in today's um, uh, zeitgeist or whatever. Um, if you're watching Oprah and she's interviewing Tom Cruise, and just about the time he jumps up on the couch and starts screaming about how much he loves life or whatever, they go, and now the news. You know, yeah, absolutely. All the flow, everything is just gone. Yeah, it just straight into just interjects itself straight into it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. But but back to the foundational. What what will be the foundation for the the rest of his career? You get a lot of figures from this show. Yeah. That end up carrying on further on yes. in life with them. Biff Henderson, yeah, who's a Biff mainstay. Thirty five years with David Letterman. He started off on this show as David Letterman's uh, stage manager, That's fantastic. and he was a stage manager for the rest of his career. And if you watch, of course, the David Letterman show at all later on when it was yeah. you know the Tonight or the Late Show, uh-huh. uh, yeah, he's Biff well, Henderson. Late night, all, then, yeah, late then night, the Late Show, then the Late Show, yeah. and Biff's through it all. He, he uses him, uh, you know. Uh, their friendship, you can tell that it's not just a working relationship. You can tell, you know, yeah. through their interactions that well, the guys are definitely that's genuine. That's kind of how it felt with, with everybody that ends up on Late Night with David Letterman. Um, it was, you could tell that all of them had relationships. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? I mean, they were friends first. Well, there's some guys that, you know, start their writing. Rich Hall, mm-hmm. he starts his professional mm-hmm. writing career on mm-hmm. this show. Rich Hall was a funny stand-up yeah, comedian, hilarious. too. And that's where he starts. He starts his first professional writing job is with this David Letterman morning show. And so, so one of the things I want us to commit to, there's two, two, two episodes I want us to commit to. And I think these are at least two episodes, right? Yeah. One is 
I want to just talk about Larry Bud Millman because Larry Bud was the funniest thing I had ever seen on TV. Still one of the funniest things. Even when I watch at night, my wife has to tell me to turn it off because I'm shaking the bed because I'm laughing. Laughing so hard. Yeah, absolutely. And then Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott, okay. Chris Elliott, to me, is one of the funniest guys ever, and it's because Chris Elliott has never taken anything or himself seriously ever. <laughs> and uh, Chris Elliott is is one of my all-time favorites. Um, you know, there's there's two very big differences there. Um, you have, in Larry Bud Millman, you have the um, just the gullible idiot, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But in Chris Elliott, you have... Almost the the opposite of that, which is the I'm so smart, I'm smarter than everybody else, but he's really an idiot. Yeah, you know, um, those are those are two I really want us to commit to because yeah, we could do that. God, those those two guys. Yeah, they're great. You know, absolutely. Yeah, those are my favorite. So yeah, so the show, uh, the cool thing about the show is you have uh, you had a game show guy, yeah, Bob Stewart. Mm-hmm. That was the named producer before the show ever aired. Well, okay. four days before the show airs. He leaves. Oh. And the controversy behind that is, is just creative differences. He's a vet, a veteran game show host in 1980, yeah. probably made his career in the late early 60s, yeah. late 50s yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and his name is Bob Stewart. Uh, so he gets replaced by Barry Sands. Mm. And Barry Sands would then... Uh, That's a name I know. Yeah, Barry Sands. He actually... Uh, what happened with him is, is he produces the David Letterman show... He's with him for the entirety of this morning show and then for about five years with uh, with Late Night. Well, five years into the Late Night is when Fox starts up their network. Ah. Fox wants yeah. somebody to produce a show for them. Right. For uh, at the time, it was supposed to be Joan Rivers was uh-huh, the one that was uh-huh. going to get the show. Yeah, and uh, and she ended up getting the show. Yeah, she ended up getting the yeah. show. Actually, and it ended up being awful, and that's why yeah, it's, it was rough. And that's why no one. That's why it's lost to the yeah. the, the tombs of yeah. YouTube. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so Barry Sands actually went to Fox to go produce the Late Show for Joan Rivers. Wow. Uh, whenever he left David Letterman, so mm. he became he became the producer of the show, and then. Uh, you even had people like Will Will Schreiner, who was uh-huh. a filmmaker and a comedian, and uh, he's like historically intertwined Actually, in golden era of television through his through his parents. One of the ones I watched uh, that you sent me on this list, Will Schreiner came out. For, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the for the daytime show. Yeah. yeah, that was actually the last episode that they did, which was really neat. On the last episode, we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, but you get these like these these guys who are uh, you know like Will Schreiner, uh, whose dad. Uh, was in, ingrained in the early 50s TV. You know, his dad was an early 50s TV personality, and actually his dad's early show that he had was called Two for the Money, mm-hmm. which, uh, fun fact, Woody Allen was a young 17-year-old mm-hmm. writing for Herb Schreiner, uh, Will Schreiner's dad. So it's really cool to see, like, not just, like, the David Letterman side of everything, but it's cool to see how intertwined all of this early TV yeah. and how all intertwined all these guys were. Because you got to think, Will Schreiner... His dad's Herb Schreiner, mm-hmm. a guy who was in TV in the '50s. You got to think he probably got to meet oh, and see everyone and yeah. see all these crazy personalities from the '50s and '60s. Watch it all start from the from the from the ground up, and that and that is literally the ground up. And yeah. t- TV as we know it uh, for America starts in that that, that early yeah. '50s yeah. after the war. You know, yeah. we're doing great, economy's booming, Absolutely. everybody's buying TVs. Yep. Well, everybody's buying them, but now we got to create stuff for these people to watch right. on TV. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's amazing. I wonder if there is a, uh, and maybe somebody who's listening to this can find it, or I'm sure you will. Uh, I wonder if there is a uh, TV comedy like family tree out there somewhere, you know, where everybody came from. Like if you think of sports, you can always look at like one coach and they've coached up all these other guys and they've all gone out and they've got their own teams now and stuff like that. And that's kind of what it feels like with comedy here that, you know, you've got, I don't know who would be at the top of this thing other than maybe George Burns and, and his ilk. Probably George Burns, Jack Benny, probably right. some of those guys. All of those guys are the ones who planted the seed. And then I would love to see who worked on their shows and how they influenced and all that kind of stuff, you know, because yeah, absolutely. it's huge. Uh, I think it would be cool to do, uh, uh, you know, as we evolve this David Letterman podcast, I mm-hmm. think it would be cool to maybe do an episode uh, of uh, for David Letterman and what yeah. blossomed from his show. Yeah. I think that would be neat to do. It would be cool. Uh, to see how many connections that we could make. From what we know for comedy in the yeah. modern era. Yeah, who did we get, when Letterman. did we get them, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Because yeah. uh, you could connect uh, Colbert, yeah. Stewart, John yeah. Stewart, Stephen yeah. Colbert. You could connect mm-hmm. them. Spe- mm-hmm. you pretty sure you connect them to David Letterman, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Especially Colbert. He got the show after, you know. Right, right. Yeah, there's there's tons of guys that uh, – there's tons of people in general that, that came from that. You know, when you think of like an Elaine Boozler and stuff, I just remember her being this huge comedian. Uh, at the time, like, like you're talking, Andy Kaufman, oh, uh, yeah. they actually had a relationship, her and Andy oh, Kaufman. Oh, did they really? Yeah. They were, they were live in partners for, I think it was like three years. That is so weird because yeah. I don't see her being with Andy Kaufman. Yeah. I, I don't really see them two being together, but yeah, she, I guess uh, that's what does it though. Sometimes, you know, it's like opposites attract kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Or who they, the hell knows? I mean, Andy Kaufman might've been just a normal guy. last guy. Well, know, that's the home. thing I think of Andy Kaufman. I think of him, uh, he gets done with his bit and he goes home and he sits down on the couch and <laughs> reads pulls the recliner, the dog. Yeah, reads yeah, the paper, feeds sure. the dog, all that. You know, just yeah. the normal guy takes the trash out, listens to the wife bitching. But, you, you know, know, you you and I have talked about this before, that I think somebody like Andy Kaufman and maybe even Letterman to a certain extent, you know, had they not had this outlet, they would have been like serial killers or something. Oh, you know absolutely. Because I mean? where does all that go? And, and even and even David Letterman says Andy Kaufman, if he would not have been in, in a, a comedian, he said he would have been a serial killer. <laughs> and it's funny that you say that because that's wow, exactly that, from huh? David Letterman yeah. himself. He said that, yeah, Andy Kaufman, he said his style of humor, yeah, if he wouldn't have been a comedian, what would he have done? <laughs> yeah, you got to think it would have been something weird. Yeah. yeah, and it's not even We would have learned comedy. his middle name. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he would have learned Andy, his middle whoever, name. Kaufman yeah, that killed birth date, uh, yeah, death date, all that. You would have known <laughs> Who he was specifically <laughs> infamous the infamous yeah. Andy Kaufman. I think you could even still say that the infamous Andy Kaufman. Yeah. So yeah. so this daytime show started in 1980, right? Yep. Summer of 1980. Summer of 1980. And it and it literally just lasted that summer. So October 24th was the, actually the last air date. So it okay. lasted a little bit into the fall, but yeah, pretty much uh, wow. you know through That's June, July, much. August, yeah. September, October. Uh, and there's not you know. And it was a daily show, right? Yeah, it was a daytime daytime daily show yeah. and. He started getting dropped off by local net, you know, uh, local local markets started gotcha. dropping the show and dropping the show and dropping the show because who who does it appeal to? Yeah, it appeals to twenty year olds yeah. that are at they school or at work or yep. drunk, passed out from the rager the night before. Yeah, and even Conan said, you know, those early morning shows is where he first yeah. gets his experience with David Letterman. Yeah, and things like that. And it's just really it's really interesting to see how foundational this show ends up being for the rest of his career like you said it's the 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 skeleton the the raw template for which he would paint the canvas of the last you know the, the last 30 years of his career kind of yeah. thing the next 30 years and 
had he not had this show and he would have got that role in 1980 in the movie Airplane, <laughs> would we know who David Letterman is as he is today? Probably, you know, no. he might have not been the late night guy. He no. might have he might have been the movie guy. And would he have been successful in movies? I don't think so. I don't think he would have been as su- no. successful with scripted comedy. No. I, and I know a lot of his jokes are scripted and things like that are written for him, but it's yeah. it's it's the delivery's not scripted. Delivery's not scripted, and their reaction is not scripted. Not scripted at all. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those jokes, from what I understand, uh, a lot of the time, he might not got to screen the joke that he's yeah. reading. Yeah. He just, he's giving you the joke as he's seeing it. Yeah. And that that's visceral. It's raw. You don't get that from scripted you know, comedy in movies. I think, I, I guess that was, and this is something we'll talk about as we go on, but that was probably one of the other appeals for me uh, with Letterman is um, that uh, breaking the fourth wall kind of thing where... You know, the jokes were written, but he would tell you about them and he would tell you why it didn't go well or whatever. You know, you were you were part of the crew, basically, when you watched. Yeah, it. absolutely. And, and that and that was a appeal to me as a, a youngster watching the show, because yeah. uh, my it's depressing. But my first instance of David Letterman is the September 11th episode, yeah. the after September 11th episode yeah. where he goes through and, you know, talks about the dark incident that just happened right, sure. and it's and, and and it's a super iconic moment for my generation too uh the september 11th incident it, you know it's really iconic it's like sure. the, the first major cataclysmic world event right, for right, right. you know being 10 11 years old well at this time i'm starting to explore television uh-huh. on my own because at this point, most of the television that you that, that I've watched up until about ten or eleven has been sitting next to dad and mom sure, on the couch. Sure, you're watching sitcoms. You're you, you, you yeah. know the the eighties and nineties sitcoms. You're, you're you're watching the news. You're and, sucking in whatever's on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I got an odd fascination after September eleventh happened with the news and watching TV. Sure, period. Sure. And just it got to where I was watching TV late at night, and I'm like, oh, well, wow, who is who's who are these people? You yeah, know, who's yeah, this guy? Yeah. Well, the first. The first show that I remember, I know I'd watched David Letterman before this point, but the first show that I remember is, again, the the episode after 9-11, which... Uh, he was one of the first ones to come back on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only was he one of the first ones to come back on, Al Franken himself, uh, in the interview I listened to with Al Franken, said that he went to the, the 9-11 site. Really? And uh, a lot of the workers, the firemen and the policemen, and uh, they got to talking. You know, he was having conversations with them, and he said that the, he had heard from a few of them. He said, David Letterman's got to come back. Mm-hmm. Like, we need mm-hmm. we need David Letterman right now. Yeah. Like, God, what a compliment, huh? Yeah, imagine... imagine being that like iconic for mm-hmm. a city. Yeah, no kidding, right? You know, like Johnny Carson was for out west. Yeah. And then yeah. now you have him on the other coast and he's just this It's hard for me to think about icon. New York without Letterman. You know? I, I can't like yeah. to me it's to to not see the Letterman marquee in New York yeah. anymore. I mean right. it has to be odd for any New Yorker. I feel like I feel like I that was such so. a such a such an icon. He he really is for the city. Well, Rusty, um I think we have gotten through um, his early stuff. I think we've gotten through the daytime show. We've ambled through it. Yeah, yeah we kind of ambled through it, and that's we got it's there. basically what this show is going to be: is us ambling and recalling as yeah, we go. Yeah, absolutely, a lot of ambling. I think we're going to try to uh, do either episode by episode or groups of episodes or something like that as we go forward. Um, but uh, yeah, or or what we could do. Uh, something I was going to posit is uh, 
there's huge clips, mm-hmm. clip videos yeah. of specific celebrity appearances. Yeah, that'd be great too. And and I feel like what we should do is, is set up the most prolific people first, the people who had the most appearances first, yeah. and work our way down to I think it's you know, great. more minor appearances. I think it's great. I think uh, I would love to do a recap of episode one. Um, okay. You know, of, of Late Night with David Letterman, episode one, because it is weird. It's a it's an odd show. Well, this I'll be able to get into this more in the next episode. But yeah. if you watch the last episode of the David Letterman show uh-huh. and see how it ends, it's, you have the showgirls, the, exact same the music, <laughs> yeah. and the second, yeah. the first second of the opening. Yeah. It's like they're in the studio, yeah. everybody's standing around the camera, yeah. the the showgirls are there, the music's playing, so it's just like they shut the camera off for two seconds, and in 1983, <laughs> they turned it back on, and it's there's everybody's standing where they were standing for the David Letterman show. Yeah, and that's beautiful to me. That's so, it's so, uh, I feel like on brand with David Letterman and intentional. I didn't see that as something that was oh, unintentional. It was I think it's 1,000% intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, he, if, if, no matter what you think of Letterman, when you look at his stuff, you can't think that some of this stuff, he just makes it look so easy, but it is all intentional. Yeah, it is all intentional. And that's his humor is, it is unintentionally to you, to the viewer, to the person enjoying it. It doesn't seem intentional. It doesn't seem with any deliberation or or any forethought or anything. It's just like your dad firing jokes and just hoping one of them hits. (laughs) Right. You know, throws a hundred of them at you with the hope that you'll laugh at one of them. Here's a hundred of them. You've heard 50 of them before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. Maybe one of them will stick. (laughs) That's right. Okay. Well, um, I want to say thank you to anybody who's listening. Um, Thanks for sticking with this. Um, Tell your grandkids hi for us. Tell your grandkids hi or your your, uh, worker, whoever helps you change your diapers at this point. we um, we're gonna go forward with this because to me this is kind of a passion project. Um, it's it's David Letterman has has been a huge icon in my life, uh, my almost my entire life. And uh, when I thought about doing a show, this was the first thing that came to mind. I was like, you know, if I was gonna do anything that recaps how my life was influenced by TV, it would be Letterman. And so that's that's what we're that's what we're going with. Well, you know, I appreciate you allowing me a random guy oh, from the man, internet to on. partake it is it's it's been great getting to discuss this and then all the discussions we've had prior to this too so dude i'm, I'm glad we finally you, got to start it your research is crazy and it's fantastic i love it yeah it's just uh, it comes from just wanting to do good you know wanting yeah. to wanting to give somebody yeah. something that's worthwhile because i mean if i came in here and i didn't do this and dude, we were just talking i would have had nothing to talk about Dave. you gave 135 percent mike sorry i would have had nothing to talk about mike what'd you call me i called you dave oh we're great. talking about that's Dave. A compliment. There, there you go. go yeah appreciate it but uh i got a cousin yeah. named dave um, we all I, do. Nobody gives a crap. I think everybody's got a cousin named Dave. <laughs> I know a few guys named Dave. All right. Well, uh, guys, uh, join us next time for uh, Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. Uh, we're going to talk about more Letterman. I believe that next episode is going to be episode one. We'll just kind of go over that, and then uh, then we'll start hunting and picking and um, figuring out what makes us laugh. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for joining us on Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. I am Mike. And I'm Rusty. And join us next time for another episode of The Man from the City So Nice They Named It Twice. Wake the Kids at RogueMediaNetwork.com. Excellent. And we will see you next time. At the David Letterman Tribute Podcast. Okay, good enough. Ladies and gentlemen, Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors.
Rogue Media Network.